Okay, so last time we started our series that we're doing together called Better Together. We're trying to understand how has God called us as a group of people that He calls the church, how has He called us to partner together to do God's work? And we recognized last time that, hey, we need to, we need to, to admit to the fact that many churches, many groups of God's people have gotten way off track. Amen? Many of us have been a part of churches or we've heard about other people who are involved in churches that somehow along the way got off the path and stopped being who God wants us to be. And we said, you know what? We don't want that to happen at New Hope. Amen? We want this to be a place where God is doing His work through us. So Lord, please teach us how to do Your work together. Amen? So last time we started with this. Who is our leader? We need to be clear on that. It's King Jesus. That's pretty clear. We talked about what does He want us to do. And we talked about how He wants us to bring glory to His name. And we talked about how He wants us to make the bride of Christ beautiful for when He comes back one day. And we talked about how He wants us to be involved in sharing that wonderful message that He's given us of salvation through Christ. And so we basically said that's why at New Hope we talk about worship, grow, serve. That's really, in a nutshell, what it's all about. It's worshiping God. It's growing together and it's going out into this world to serve and to share with other people. That was a great start to our series and I appreciate the good response that we got from that message. But I do need to share something with you. I have a little bit of a concern for this series because I think some of us are going to be tempted to think this. I have a lot of issues in my life and I came to church to find those answers. To be honest with you, Pastor Robbie, I'm not really interested in how the church is set up, okay? If some of us were honest, we may feel that way, but there's a few challenges that I would give to you tonight. First of all, anytime we are studying God's Word, there's never a not necessary moment, amen? Anytime we're studying God's Word, we can grab uh, what God is trying to say to us personally through that. So this is part of God's purpose for your life. But also, if you do like this church, if you do say, you know what, God has worked in my life here, you should care how it works. We should want to find out if it is being used by God, how did it get that way, and God help us to what? Keep it that way and make it even better. And for all of us, I think probably, it's an important part of our spiritual growth. Listen, to go from me to we. You understand? To go from, and many of us start church, we start our spiritual journey kind of, you know, in crisis or thinking about, you know, I need help or I need God. And, and certainly that, that's fine to, to come to the Lord personally. But then hopefully as you come to church, we begin to realize that it's not just about me and what God's doing in my life, but I'm a part of a bigger purpose and plan. And God's kingdom is at work in this world. And I want to understand what that's about. And I want to join him in that. Amen. Amen or oh me? Amen. Amen. All right, stay with me. If there are great things happening in our lives, in our church, there are reasons for that, is what we're trying to say. Now, we need to be very intentional. We need to be very thoughtful about how it is that God wants us to do His work. They don't just happen. I'm glad God has a plan, aren't you? And we need to learn what that plan is. So with that challenge, today we're going to talk about this. In our church family, there's a great need for direction and protection. It's why every church needs some key leaders 
We at New Hope need some pastors. Pastors. That's the title of the message today. Providing direction and protection for our church family and ultimately for our lives. Now, I do have to give a little disclaimer as I start the message tonight. It's a little bit awkward to talk about yourself, okay? So I'm going to do my best to, to do that tonight, but it's a little bit awkward because I, I are one of these, all right? But I'm going, to, I'm going to try to be God's servant, just like I was a visiting pastor, and I just want to be God's servant in, in our lives, amen? And one day when Pastor Robbie's dead and gone, Shannon doesn't like when I say that kind of stuff, but one day, one day when Pastor Robbie's dead and gone, you got another pastor, I need to be responsible to teach God's Word. Uh, on how we need to do His work. So first of all, let's talk about why do we even need pastors? Why do we need pastors in our lives? We've got several pastors here in our church family, a team of pastors. Why do we need those men, those servants of the Lord in our life? Well, if you look at God's Word, whenever God works in this world, God can do whatever He wants to. Everybody say amen to that. God can just do whatever He wants to. He does not need, by any stretch of the imagination, me or you. But apparently, we see in God's Word, when God is up to something, many times, in fact, most of the time, God raises up leaders to do that work. In the Old Testament, we think about Abraham. We think about Moses, Joshua, David. We think about all the prophets in the New Testament. We think about Peter, the apostles. We think about Timothy. All throughout the Old Testament, you see as God's doing something, as He's organizing His people, He takes the head of the households, the heads of the families, uh, the elders, it says many times, and He works through them to help provide leadership. In the New Testament, He talks about these people we're thinking about tonight. He talks about pastors or elders or overseers or different words, shepherds, that are used to describe those people. In fact, that idea of shepherd really goes all throughout Scripture. The Bible says in Matthew 26, verse 31, it talks about a principle of when we as God's people do not have shepherds to lead us, we are very scattered about, okay? So God says we need shepherds in our life. And then a passage that really kind of haunts me as a pastor, in Ezekiel chapter 34, God really speaks directly to supposedly the leaders, the shepherds of His people. And He says, you are not being shepherds. You're not taking care of my sheep. You are taking advantage of my sheep and you're in big time trouble, buddy. God takes it very seriously. As we consider what do pastors do? What is the important? Why do you sit here tonight and say, you know what? Why do I need the role of pastors in my life? Well, I want to look at two things. I want to look at specific verses that talk about this. And I want to Look at the words that the Bible uses for uh, these people in our lives. First of all, some verses. Uh, and these are listed there for you in your worship guide and your notes. But Acts chapter 6, verse 4. In Acts 6, verse 4, they said, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, as the early church started growing, it was exploding, and there were many different things happening in, among God's people, and so there came a need for, for the pastors, really, to define some of the focus for their ministry. So God raised up other leaders that we're going to talk about more next week to help out with that, with the logistics of ministry. Now listen, and that's not because pastors don't do the ministry thing, okay? No, it's so that pastors can understand how to focus on the right ministry that God has called them to focus on. And it says in these verses 
that one of their priorities, one of your pastor's priorities, is praying, seeking God, and the ministry of God's Word. In other words, it is critical that our leaders be seeking God. Amen? Pastors need to be calling out to God, talking to Him on behalf of our church family, and seeking His direction in His Word and preparing to share that with His people. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 says that teaching God's Word is one of the big uh, roles that the pastors have in our lives. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. This is uh, what I consider really, really my ministry verse. Some of you have life verses that kind of describe uh, what, what you believe God's work is in your life. Well, my life verse is Acts 20, verse 24. But my ministry sort of calling verse is verse 28. It says this. It says, be on guard for yourself. Now, this is Paul speaking to the, the elders or the pastors from the church at Ephesus. It says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. Pastors are told to be on guard for God's people. To oversee its overall work. They're called to shepherd God's people, God's family, the local churches. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. The idea of equipping. The Bible says, And God gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why did he do that? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, and that, that that's, can be easily translated, for the work of the ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. So the Bible says that pastors, listen, are to be equippers. We're to be trainers. We're to be like coaches. Listen, God wants this whole body of believers... What if you, we're going to talk about this in 1 Corinthians 12 in a couple of weeks, but what if there was only one part of the body that showed up? One part of your body that showed up. Wouldn't it be weird? Okay. You need the whole body to be reflected. God wants His whole body, the body of Christ. I'm not the body of Christ. You're not the full body of Christ, but us together makes the body of Christ. So God's called pastors to come in and to help us to discover and to use our giftedness so that Christ is what we talked about last week, glorified. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. It says, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. That's talking about the leadership role of our pastors. It talks about, that word means to rule, it means to be in charge, it means to set direction, to be responsible for watching over others. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 it talks about the pastors are those that lead you. It's a strong word that's used there. Again, it means to provide leadership, direction, and guidance. So those are some of the ideas, uh, some of the verses in the New Testament, some of the key verses, the top verses. If you want to know what a pastor is supposed to be, those are some of the key passages. But I want us to uh, focus on uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3. In this passage, and actually that passage I said is one of my favorite, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. In both of these passages, the three words that the Bible uses for pastors are given. Okay, so I want to read this one out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3. Peter says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight, 
not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples of the flock. There's three words that are used in that passage that are words that the Bible uses for what do pastors do in their lives. The first one was the word elder. Now listen, if you think about the idea of elder, isn't that a very natural concept pretty much in any culture around the world? We have elders. We have people in our community who are elders uh, and serve in that kind of way. Now many times that's associated with age, right? There are older people who are elders, but it's not necessarily limited to age. In fact, there are some older people who are very foolish, and there are some younger people who have quite a bit of wisdom, okay? So a lot of times we do see older people that are our elders, and we see that way because of their experience, because of the wisdom that they've gained, but that's what's most important, is they're really what they're, saying, what they're talking about here is, somebody said, this is talking about a pastor ought to have maturity, spiritual maturity. In many places in the New Testament, God calls the pastors to be examples to other followers of Jesus about what it means to follow Christ. A pastor should seek to be dead to self. A pastor should seek to show that he lives for God and is someone that other people could follow his example as he's following the Lord. Now, let me just make this clear. It doesn't mean he's perfect. Okay, in fact, maybe he's an example of what to do when you mess up, right? Because all of us mess up, all of us are sinners, but our pastors can even show us that, right? When we mess up, how do we make things right? So he's an elder, but he's also a shepherd, or the word that we use, pastor. The word here has a broad stroke of meaning. It means he feeds, he gives guidance. He has a leading or a ruling function he makes sure that the sheep are taken care of, either directly or through others, that the sheep are taken care of. Now, the idea of shepherd is a very prevalent concept throughout God's Word. In fact, it's used much of who? In Psalm 23, who's my shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. By the way, this is kind of interesting to put pastor in there in Psalm 23. The Lord is my what? Is my pastor. <laughs> he really is. He's the chief shepherd. And that idea of shepherd, as I've studied God's Word, is really the most comprehensive word or perspective of what a pastor is in God's family. But shepherd sounds a little strange in our culture, doesn't it? I mean, if you called me Shepherd Robbie, you know, it just, it seems, it just sounds a little strange, doesn't it? We're not used to that concept. But pastor is something that's very well understood and typically positive in our culture, and it actually comes from the Latin for shepherd. And so we've chosen in our church to use that word pastor more often. Then he talked about oversight. Now, that's a common concept for a pastor. We need some pastors. We need some people. Don't we need to know that somebody kind of knows what's going on? Amen? That someone's watching. I mean, I'm over here doing my part, and I see she's over here doing her part, and he's over here doing his part, and is somebody kind of bringing this thing together? Amen? So, so there needs to be some people who are kind of... somebody. It gives the idea of some people who are in charge. They're leading, they're managing, they're giving direction. I have to be honest with you. I tend to downplay that part because I am one. Okay? And so I'm, I'm, I try to be careful, I'm not comfortable with that, 
But I have to be honest as I teach it, the idea does show up in God's Word. Our pastors are our leaders. I like the translation here instead of overseer. I like it more like this, one who looks over. I like that. It's the same idea, you just flip the words. But I just overseer sounds a little bit, you know, more, <laughs> I'm your overseer, you know. It's like, whoa, you know. But one who looks over, to me, is more endearing. Okay, God's working. And so you got someone who's just sort of looking over things and making sure, you know, to kind of take the temperature of what God's doing. Again, we've tended to use the word pastor uh, because it is a positive term, typically, because of that imagery of shepherding. Uh, people in our culture kind of understand what that word means. Overseer or bishop, many of you have been a part of Christian groups before where a bishop is really kind of uh, over a maybe a, a region. You know, they've sort of got a bishop who's over a whole region. And so that doesn't really give the right concept. Many churches use the word elder, and I think that's fine. But sometimes that brings in some ideas that we don't mean by it. And so we've just chosen the term. I mean, it could be elder, it could be overseer, bishop, pastor. You know, it would be tough to say elder, bishop, pastor, Robbie, right? So you've got to pick one of them. So we got, I guess we should say EBP or something like that. But we just chose pastor and gone with it. So let's summarize what the Bible says, because I digress, is the role of pastors. First of all, is to lead. Write that down. God's called our pastors to seek Him. He's called our pastors to set direction, to be an example, to equip, to coach, to disciple other people. Secondly, to feed. God's called our pastors to teach the Word of God. We are desperate, the Bible says, to hear from God. Amen? You hungry? Are you hungry for God to speak? He's called our pastors to be some of the primary teachers in our church to communicate His Word. And then number three, many of you probably don't realize this, I actually didn't realize until I became a pastor how critical this role is and how common it is. He's called pastors to protect. He's called pastors to deal with wolves. Did you know there's sometimes people that want to come in and mess up the good things that God's doing? We do our best to work together with Him. I'd like to turn some wolves into sheep, amen? And Jesus can do it, but sometimes we'd have to say, you better go away and not mess with the sheep. Somebody needs to do that. Somebody needs to deal with wrong belief. If there's some things that are being spread that aren't according to God's Word or threats to unity, threats to the health of the body, I thank God if we do have a healthy church family, and we're always working on that, but I tell you, our pastors are always watching that, kind of keeping, like I said, the temperature of, are there things that need to be dealt with? Is there some division that may be sort of cropping up? There's some issues that need to be dealt with. And pastors help warn us about sin in our lives. And we're getting off track, so they help protect us. So that's a very key role. Now we summarized in the title of the message, really, you could just say pastors, their primary role is to give direction and protection. But I want us to look at a couple things here on the screen that, that kind of gives us an idea of, of some things I want you to be aware of. You've heard us talking about uh, wanting to put together a care net. Okay, Now, if you look at that image, and, and I don't really like that image in a lot of ways, but in the sense of just sort of showing you how we want to break our church family into smaller groups, where you got people that are in groups of tens in a growth group. Then you got maybe some people that are flock leaders or cluster leaders. That, and that's what the Bible says. Leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens. And so maybe you've got some people that are sort of watching over 
uh, groups of 50, and then you've got some people that are sort of watching over the groups of hundreds. And, and the pastors really are God's servants to sort of bring all that together and sort of an umbrella uh, of the Lord's leadership over that. And then let's look at the next one. I like this image a little bit better because the other one looks a little bit hierarchical and that's not what we're trying to say. But this image sort of shows the function of our pastors. Basically, and this is just very simple, but basically there are pockets of people, there are groups of people. That could be growth groups or clusters of groups or that could be ministry areas. And you know what? Instead of us working over here by ourselves and us working over here by ourselves, our pastors, as I said earlier, sort of help bring that together. We're all on the same page. We're all working towards the same goals together. Let me mention a few other things before we move on. Some churches call this an elder board. First of all, I don't know who ever came up with the board idea in church. You know, I think that's a, that's a, uh, a business concept. What we have, we have a pastoral ministry. Okay, that's what we call a pastoral team. And it's not a group of volunteers that sort of rotate through the church family periodically. That's a very unhealthy and unstable model. Okay? We have pastors, a pastoral team. It does seem to be, in God's Word, a group. And there does tend to be, it seems in God's Word, a point person even leading that group. Somebody said something with no heads is dead. And something with many heads is a freak. <laughs> and we've all been a part of groups where is anybody the point person here? And then we've all been a part of groups where everybody seems to be the point person here. And both of those are frustrating. These can be paid people on staff, or they don't have to be. They could be unpaid, not paid. All of our staff will not be elders, and all of our elders, our pastors, will not necessarily be on staff. And as we go along, as needed, as the Lord shows us, we will add other people to that team. Why do we need pastors? That's what we're talking about. The secondly, what's the pastor look like? If we need some, don't we need to kind of have an idea of if God called us to have some people set aside to do this, we've looked at, at what they do, so we probably have some idea of the kind of things we look for, but the Bible gives us some specific qualities. And actually, you could probably say qualifications, because 1 Timothy 3 says it's necessary for pastors to have these characteristics. The best sources that we have, you can write down 1 Timothy 3, or maybe there in your notes, 1 Timothy 3 verses, I believe it's 1 through 6, or 1 through 7, and then Titus chapter 1 verses 7 through 9. So I'm going to kind of pick up some of the things directly out of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. Okay, first of all, a pastor is to be blameless. Well, that's a tough place to start, okay? The New American Standard says, above reproach. Now, again, we're not talking about somebody has to be perfect because there's nobody here that can do that. Here's kind of what it means, literally. It literally says there's nothing that you can latch on about in his life. That nothing can be brought against him. Again, it doesn't mean he's perfect, but there are no valid accusations that can be made against him. Number two, he's a faithful husband. It literally says he's the husband of one wife. Or literally, it actually says he's a, a man of one woman. He's a one-woman man. Now, that's been debated throughout the centuries. What does it mean specifically? Does that mean he can't be a polygamist? Well, 
He can't be. <laughs> okay? That's other parts of God's Word. Does that mean no divorce? He can't have been divorced and remarried? I think the simplest explanation is the Bible calls your pastors to be faithful to their wife. Certainly, polygamy would not be good. Okay? Divorce could have an effect on his being above reproach. I think especially for a uh, lead pastor. But... Um, but probably the best translation here, the best interpretation is, he is a good husband to the woman that he's married to. Another question, does he have to be married? Isn't that a good question? Does he have to be married? Does someone have to be married to be a pastor? Well, it doesn't seem to be absolutely required, but it seems to be maybe implied that he would have to have a family. But that's not hard and fast. I think there's some exceptions. In fact, the man who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, was not married. And, and Peter... Uh, so they were, they were elders, um, but Peter was married, as far as we know. Number three, he's attentive. The New American Standard Version says he's temperate. I don't understand what temperate means, do you? I mean, so I tried to get a little bit, dig into that. It's an interesting word that actually means holding no wine. I mean, that doesn't mean he doesn't complain. That's not, it's not W-H-I-N-E. It's, it literally says holding no W-I-N-E or not mixed with wine, not involved with wine. I thought that was interesting. It basically means that he's not hindered in thinking. He's sober, is the word that we might use, or he has clarity of thought, he's paying attention. Listen, you need to have pastors, if they're looking over things, they're paying attention. Amen? Number four, he's self-controlled. New American Standard says he's prudent. I like self-control. He's shown the ability not to be controlled by his desires. He can curb his own desires. Number five, uh, this is the way I put this, his life is not falling apart. Now, it actually is translated, in some translations, he's respectable. It's a difficult word to translate. Some of your translations say he has good behavior or a good reputation. It actually, listen, it actually can be translated, he's well-arranged. But I didn't think that sounded good. That kind of sounds like he's good looking, you know. And that's not a requirement. Thank the Lord. <laughs> that's not a requirement. So, but it actually literally means he's well arranged. And so I think what that's saying is he has a somewhat of a command of his life as much as a sinner can with God's help. Okay? So I think his life is not falling apart might be a good way to put that. Um, he's not a wreck. He's not a train wreck. I mean, he's not perfect. He's got problems, trust me. Come to my house if you think we're perfect. Um, and some days we are just on the edge of falling apart. But I think, we're, I think we're good. Number six, he's welcoming. New American Standard says he's hospitable. I love this one. It actually says he's a friend to strangers. Or he loves strangers. <laughs> I think some pastors need to read this. You ever met a standoffish pastor? I've got to be honest with you. Most pastors I've ever met in my life, I didn't care too much for. I, you know, it's like you can't even talk to them without them completing your... Yeah, yeah, no, uh-huh. They're thinking about something else. But, you know, those pastors need to, need to learn that one of the requirements is that you can kind of draw people in, even people that you've never met before. He's welcoming. Number seven, he's a good teacher. I think we understand that. Number eight, he's wise about alcohol. Now, it says in New American Standard, he's not addicted to wine. Other translations say he doesn't sit by the wine long. Some translations say he doesn't lean towards drunkenness. He's not a heavy drinker. But actually, literally, it says 
He does not sit beside wine. It says He is not of wine. I think it's kind of interesting that there's two mentions of alcohol in this passage. People say, if alcohol is so bad, why is there no absolute prohibition against alcohol in the Bible? I believe that's because wine was the staple drink during that time. They had to use it to purify their water. But they had many, many more parts of water than wine in that mixture, well below the 3% that we consider an alcoholic beverage. In fact, the alcohol that we drink today, people back during Bible times called strong drink. And it was absolutely forbidden. It was crazy water. It was, that'll make you messed up. Paul even had to tell Timothy that it was okay, a little bit later in this letter, it was okay to drink a little wine because his stomach was bothering him. In other words, he was so careful about that that he was not mixing wine with his water and it was making him sick when he was drinking the water. Paul said, listen, I know you want to stay away from that, but you can use it medicinally to take care of your stomach. Now, how, no matter how you want to interpret the word, alcohol is not wise for any leader. That's what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 20 and Proverbs chapter 23. It is just not smart for a leader. So for that reason, we've asked our pastors to be totally abstaining from alcohol. By the way, this will challenge you. We're all leading somebody. Now, I'd seriously encourage you to consider just staying away from that stuff. It's just, I, I don't see any good reason. Number nine is, he's not a bully. <laughs> That's, yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Now, my translation says he's not pugnacious. I don't even know what that means. So I looked it up. It means, it means he's not a hitter. It is nice if our pastor doesn't punch people, right? I mean, it, it literally says, now sometimes we want to. But anyway, basically he's not violent. He doesn't hurt people. There are some religious leaders who hurt people. And that's wrong. And God takes it very seriously. He doesn't abuse people. Number 10, he's kind. It says he's gentle. The New American Standard has several nuances. He's kind, he's patient, he's considerate. The reason I'm giving you this is because a lot of these words have some different nuance to them. But when you're doing a translation, you can't give them all. Okay, So I try to give you that as we're teaching. Number 11, he's not antagonistic. New American Standard says he's peaceable. It just means he doesn't fight with people. He's not quarrelsome. He's not hard to get along with. I think some pastors need to read that because on Facebook, I see some pastors that always have a problem with everything. I mean, it's just like, good grief. Are you just mad about everything? I mean, I can understand some things are wrong and we need to talk about it. We need to protect, but good grief. Some pastors, the only thing I hear is about what they're mad about. The Bible says that's not, they're not antagonistic. They're not looking for a fight they're not hard to get along with. Number 12, they're not controlled by money. It says they're free from the love of money. Pastors should not be greedy. They shouldn't be covetous. They should not be materialistic. Number 13, he maintains a good home. He manages his own household well. His children respect him. Respect him. They're not out of control. Now listen, church family. We must be careful not to put pressure on the children of our pastors. Let's let them be normal. Amen? But it's just saying, as we look at his household, it does provide some evidence of what kind of leader he's going to be. That's what it's saying. Number 14, he's mature in the faith. It says he's not a new convert. He didn't just come to know the Lord. Now listen, 
again, we're going back to age, that doesn't mean that young people can't serve as pastors. I was a youth minister when I was 17 years old, and I was your pastor when I was 27 years old, which is really crazy and it shouldn't have happened. But anyway, (laughs) whoa, what was I thinking? I was way too young to be doing this. I still am, but uh, with God's help, amen? But whoever it is, it's basically saying, it's not really talking about age as much as it is, whoever it is, they need to show evidence of being a strong follower of Jesus. Solid. Number 15, he's respected by the community. It says he has a good reputation outside. Even people outside of God's family recognize that he's a good man. Recognize that he's real, that he's honest. Maybe his neighbors or his other bosses or teachers or town leaders. This person is recognized as somebody who's for real in the community. Okay, I'm going to give you a few more in Titus chapter 1. A lot of those are repeated, but there's a few extras given in Titus. Number 16, he makes good choices. Now the word that's used here actually is translated he's devout or he's holy. But, and when I saw that, I thought, you know what, he's talking about that word holy, which means special and set apart for God, but actually it's not the same word. This, I don't think holy is a good translation here. Listen, I think it probably is better translated, he does the right thing. Okay, he makes good choices. It means he has a, a pretty good read most of the time of a situation, and when he understands what's the right thing to do, more often than not, he's going to do the right thing, he's going to make the right choice. Number 17, he's strong in the Word. New American Standard says he's holding fast the faithful Word. He knows the Bible. He can explain it. He believes it to be fully true, that it's trustworthy. He talks about in that passage. He uses it. Listen, church family, please record this and play it back one day. We should never have a pastor that does not completely believe the Bible from cover to cover. That trusts the Word of God. And listen, I wrote my notes, duh, uses it. Amen? In some churches, people tell me that they never open the Bible. So what are we doing? What are we talking about? We may as well hire Jay Leno to do that one. We need a pastor who, who can handle God's Word. Again, not perfect, not experts. There's some of you in this church family that may know God's Word, have more memorized, have more experience. In. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that He can share God's Word and that He believes in it and uses it in teaching our people. He's able to deal with wrong belief. Whether it's someone on accident or whether someone is trying to push that onto others. Number 18, he's a man. We've used he a lot, but let's just go ahead and say it. He's a man. Now, many people don't like this, but it's the clear teaching of Scripture. There are many multitudes of ways that ladies can serve, but not as pastor. In fact, that might be the only one that's limited. God has called the men to provide that leadership. By the way, this is a high standard, but it is not meant to be interpreted as perfect. Let's give our pastors some grace. Amen? Amen. Because they're people too. Why do we need pastors? What they look like? But how do we interact? How, how do we relate to these men that God's called to give us this shepherd relationship? Well, this is part of what I was talking about earlier that's hard for me to talk about because I am one. But uh, again, just sort of see me as a visiting speaker here, okay? Just, I'm just God's servant. I'm just the messenger giving God's word. How should we interact with our pastors? Right now, first of all, we need to pray for them. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 
verses 1 and 2 says that we should pray for all of our leaders. That certainly would include the spiritual servants that God has called in our church family. And by the way, I've never been in a church that prays for their pastors as much as you guys. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not sure I would have survived the last two years of my life without your prayers. I share with someone, I feel like, um, he talked about the levee in New Orleans, how it keeps back the water. I feel it. I feel sometimes like the water would just cover me and I'm a goner. But I feel the prayers of you guys holding back the waters. Thank you so much. We're praying for your pastors. Number two, follow their lead. Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 17. As I read this scripture, I want you to, um, to read the part that's underlined there. It says, obey your leaders and what? Submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Wow. We're accountable. One day. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Man, it is to our advantage to encourage the directions that our pastors lead because that's good for them and it's good for us as a church family. Some churches talk about being congregationally led. But that doesn't seem to be the pattern in God's Word. It's also many times not healthy. We are congregationally informed. What does that mean? We trust the Lord to work through our pastors to provide that leadership. But pastors would be dumb not to listen to the body. I'm telling you, we need, we pick up, we hear from the Lord through the body. But the Lord has called our pastors. He's the great shepherd and He's given us some under-shepherds in our church family. And Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, we should follow the direction that they sense God is setting for us. Now, that's not because they're better than anybody else. It's, a, it's in a sense God has given some authorities in our life, just like the policeman that pulls you over. Okay? Just like your teacher. Just like your parents. Just like your, maybe your husband if, if, you're, if you're married. Uh, your boss if you're an employee. God's given different places in life where we have authority in our lives. Let me just share this. If you have trouble with the pastors or the spiritual leaders that God has put in a particular church, unless there's moral failure, unless there's ethical failure that needs to be addressed, if you cannot follow the direction of those that God has put in place, then you need to consider maybe God is calling me in a different direction. And actually, to be honest with you, I don't mean to be ugly here, but I'm just trying to gently press into something that some people need to, need to kind of address. If you continue to go from body to body, and that is an issue for you, maybe there's something in you that God's wanting to deal with. Number three, we should support them. Certainly, we were just talking about that. We encourage them by following the direction they set. But even the Bible talks about financially. If we have pastors who are devoting themselves more, devoting more of their time to the ministry, the Bible says that we should pay them and even that we should pay them well. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, or 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17-18, through the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, 
especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. The general idea is that we want our leaders to be able, and this is kind of a missionary concept, you want your leaders to be able to move among the people that they're reaching. You really wouldn't want a pastor to be the richest person in a culture. You wouldn't want him to be the poorest person in a culture. Typically, in most contexts, somewhere in the middle or maybe slightly upper middle, that seems to be in context a place where they can reach the maximum number of people. Number four, encourage them. Encourage your pastors. I recently heard that being a pastor is in one of the top five most difficult jobs in the world. By the way, stay-at-home mom was number one. That's true, isn't it? So working together with them, like we just talked about, is the greatest thing. It brings great joy. And you encourage your pastors. It is such a joy to be a part of this church. Such a blessing. You encourage us. But also in other ways. Maybe acts of kindness. Maybe words of appreciation. Listen to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love. I love that. Because of their work, live in peace with one another. Again, I'm just going to share with you, church family. I feel like Paul, when he was writing to the Thessalonians, he talks about doing things and he says, you're already doing this, but just keep doing it more. That's how I feel as your pastor sharing this tonight. I'm sharing you stuff that you're already doing. I've never been a part of such a grateful group of people. And I don't know many pastors that can say that. Many pastors have a lot of ungrateful people that, that take for granted what God is doing and don't appreciate and complain and whine and all that kind of stuff. I thank God for your hearts. And listen, it makes a difference. And what we're able to do for the Lord, you are encouraging your pastors. And we always want to be a place that has happy, fulfilled leaders. Amen? That's a blessing to them. And also Hebrews 13 said, it's good, it's profitable for you. Now listen, some of you get nervous when we start talking about strong leadership in God's family. To be honest with you, I do too. There's several reasons for that. First of all, I am one. <laughs> and I'm always nervous about the role God's given me. By the way, I think it's a great, a great quality in all of our pastors that we have. All of us don't think we deserve to be here. All of us are very nervous about it. And are only doing it because God called us to. And we're going to just trust Him to use us. But I'm one of them, so that makes me nervous. Also, it can be misused. It can be abused. It is by people. Also, it can become too much of the focus for a congregation. Sometimes a congregation can give too much in the way of what we're talking about. But the biggest thing is this. Let's just make sure that we have good ones. That we have God called and God appointed for this church family. So we pray for them. We follow their lead. We support them. We encourage them. You know, I almost entitled this message, Tender Warriors. I love that phrase. I love it for a dad. I love it for a husband. I think of David as a tender warrior. 
You understand what I'm saying? He had a heart for God. <laughs> but don't mess with it. Amen? I, I, got some, I got some responsibility and I'm not afraid to be God's servant. He's a warrior for God. Doing the Lord's work. I think that is a great description of good pastors too. Are you thankful for what God is doing in our church family? It's not happening by accident. God has a plan. He's been working that plan out over the years. And you and I are a part of that today. Aren't you glad you have pastors? Aren't you glad you have people who are looking over, who are keeping an eye on, who are praying, who are seeking, who are encouraging, who are equipping, who are rallying, rallying, who are tying together, who are encouraging people to go out, who are providing mentoring for people. Aren't you glad that God has given us? He's the great shepherd. Let's don't ever forget, amen? If anybody's the man around here, it's Jesus. But He's given us His under-shepherds, people to guard, to watch over our lives, either directly or as people are raised up through others indirectly, watching over our lives. Tonight I want to ask you, will you commit to pray for our pastors? Maybe your family would say, we're going to take one pastor per day for the next week, or, or maybe in our, you know, our devotions that once, once a night we're going to pray for different ones of the pastors in our church. Will you support them? Will you encourage them? Will you, be, will you, will you follow that example, that lead that our pastors are setting and let God use you to encourage them as they lead out? Maybe you're here tonight and God's calling you to join in with this church family. Because you say, you know what? I need a pastor. I need some people in my life that are watching my back. I need a church family. That, that net. I, mean, I sort of see a spider web. There's just all sorts of connections. It's almost impossible for me to fall off the map because there's people that care, love me, that are watching my life. That's what we want to be here. Now, we're not perfect, for sure. We're working on this. But that's our heart, amen? Would you say, you know what? That's what God's calling me to be a part of. I want to help this church be that. Maybe God's speaking to you tonight about taking that next step. Friend, tonight, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I can't promise you any of that. I can tell you that your pastors and this church family want to do everything we can to help you, to encourage you, to support you be there for you but ultimately you don't need new hope you don't need pastor robbie pastor jeff pastor chris pastor todd you don't need us you need a savior hopefully if god's doing anything through us you're just seeing glimpses of his greatness if we do anything right it's because christ is working through us just say dear god i didn't make that connection but tonight i do it's you jesus you're doing it all around me Jesus, tonight, I give my life to you. Thank you for forgiving me. I accept your gift tonight. I want to be your follower. I want to become a part of your family. I need that support, that protection, that guidance, that teaching. I need a family. Heavenly Father, tonight, thank you for your plan. It's so simple, but it's so strong. Help us to listen and to follow your direction. 
Whatever you're saying to hearts tonight, help us to respond right now.